Good morning. I love you guys. Thanks. Those guys. Um, well, I, uh, my name is Kaylin Taylor. I'm the worship pastor here. You probably know that because I have a MacBook instead of papers. Um, but I'm really thankful to be here this morning. I didn't want to apologize to our viewers on the stream. I know I blend in with the background and look like a talking pair of pants this morning. But I'm just... <laughs> Nameless and faceless is a big thing around here, so... I'm blending in. Um, no, I'm really, really thankful to be here with you. Um, I, get to, I get to try to preach every about half a year just to see if I can do it yet. And so I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. <laughs> yep. No, I, uh, what I, what I've learned last couple of years trying to tell you guys stuff is that I'm not a preacher, but I am a ponderer and a bit of a poet. And so I will give you what I have. And, um, this whole morning, uh, I think my, my biggest goal really is to just ponder together. And um, if, if, if you don't like that word, um, just trust me for a little bit. Pondering looks like, uh, like if, if you were listening to the words of Jesus, um, what would you do with them? And so um, we're going to listen to his words this morning. And so let's ponder them. Let's value them. He was here for, you know, three years telling people really important stuff. There's been a lar- large amount of time that we've been pondering what he said rather than just listening and, um, and following instruction. He didn't leave just a whole lot of clear instruction. You know, it's, um, there, there's some in there, but uh, there's a lot of pondering to be done. So um, that's what I'm hoping we can do this morning. Um, great. Well, we are in the middle of uh, Advent. Uh, reminder, that y'all, Billy already asked this question, but who had celebrated Advent growing up and just kind of knows what Advent feels like and is? And higher hands, you guys are so shy. <laughs> like a lot of faces in here. Okay, great. So not, not many. Yeah. Okay, great. I, I didn't either. Um, and um, whenever we started looking into it, I was like, yes, that would make Christmas mean so much more to me um, if we took some time. So we are here in the middle of Advent. Um, we're in week three. We lit the candle of joy. I'm not going to be preaching on joy today, but it's one of these. And, um, and, uh, and, and we know that it is, joy is one of the um, gifts that Jesus revealed to us, which was how to obtain the joy that the Father has for us and to uh, possess it uh, for eternity. And so we're thankful for that. Um, Advent, again, is the, is the remembering his first coming and the anticipation of his second coming. And um, I... Uh, I've been loving exploring the connection between the two of those things and them not just being separate events, um, uh, but but highly, highly connected to one another. And um, that's a a lot of what I'm going to try to um, help us ponder today is how how they were connected together and what it would have been like to be an Israelite and be unaware of the first coming uh, and that it wasn't the second, if that makes sense. not knowing there were two, you know, and, um, and helping and helping draw some of those lines. So, um, but really to give a little background of what's in my heart today, um, since as we were building up to world mandate, I started to feel that all we need is an eternal revelation of Jesus to be 
who we want to be to see what we want to see. All we need is just on the, the furthest thing inside of us, as deep as you could go, that you would see a revelation of who Jesus is. And that from that, every single thing would be built on, bolted together, things would grow out of it. It would be the soil for everything that our, that our life produces, you know, is a revelation of who Jesus is and that we need nothing other than that. And so as we um, approached World Mandate, um, I started, uh, we, we started writing a song called Behold the Lamb. And um, it just like contained a revelation, for, for me at least, and um, of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And um, if you weren't there, it was beautiful. It was awesome. We had flags around here. We were screaming and worshiping Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, there's just some, there was something about um, the journey that we were walking through for that with that revelation of saying, what would it be like to see like you're waiting for a Messiah and then you're an Israelite and he and he's revealed and you believe. Does that make sense? Um, because they were waiting on this king. They were waiting on um, a champion. They were waiting to be defended, for their oppression to be lifted. They were waiting for truth to be once and for all, um, that it would be clear that there wouldn't, you know, that's what they were waiting for. And um, there were people who watched him be revealed and believed in their heart and just imagining what that feel like. So we're going to start with our first pondering. We're just going to go back through that, through that process real quick. So um, you can ponder with your eyes closed. Some will, some will stare at me, and I don't know why you would do that, but I know you will. Um, but we're just going to ponder real quick, and I'm going to take us through that journey. So um, think about being there on the banks of the Jordan River when John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes off his sandals and he steps into the water. Imagine being on the streets of Jerusalem as he rode in on a donkey and you take off your cloak and you lay it down before him knowing in your heart that you're looking at the culmination of every promise of God. Imagine being one of these followers of Jesus. For a couple years, you've had your hope just filled for the eternal kingdom to come, just days away. And then watching Jesus led like a lamb to the slaughter. Not one person on earth knew what to do. No one could perceive what was taking place. It didn't match their expectations. Imagine being Mary who came to mourn the loss of her Messiah, coming to attend the tomb of her very hope, supposing she was speaking to the gardener. She heard the voice of her deliverer wake her very soul with one utterance of her name, Mary, the Lamb of God, slain, but risen, laid in a tomb, but now standing before the throne of God. Revelations 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Amen. So Jesus is the reality that I long for us to know so deep in our soul that we find ourselves living from another dimension of truth and beauty than the one that has been sold to us by the world. When we have a revelation of Jesus, we're not looking for answers anymore. We're not looking for explanations anymore. We have a source that is trustworthy so I believe he is benevolently offering us access to this revelation. I believe it generically for mankind, but I believe it deeply and specifically for our church. If you will hunger, he will feed you. In these days, if you will allow yourself to feel hunger and then you will come to him, he will feed you. So that, that's my like greatest challenge at the end. This is the only thing I'm going to challenge you in. I have to do it for myself. I am in a YouTube fast right now. Time with Jesus is needed. But the rest of the hours of the day, if you will hunger, he will feed you. And so anyways, I'm challenging myself and welcoming you into it. Um, feel hunger and come to him. Um, we don't have a comprehension for how he will do much of what he does. We can't guess how we, most of the time when we have a need, we picture how it will be satisfied. And then we look for that. Right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Caroline, thank you. <laughs> so, but instead, if we will feed, feel hunger and have trust for Jesus, yeah. in Jesus, and we go to him, unimaginable provision. Okay? Okay. So, um, as we, the, <laughs> wow, we're, 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 I went, we went there. So, the, the, behold the lamb, okay? This revelation, Jesus, the lamb of God, slain but risen, standing before the throne as a lamb that was slain but now stands, Okay? So there's, there's that revelation that I feel like God gave us. And I don't know if you've been feeling it, but I feel like every Sunday 
we have just been worshiping Jesus, <laughs> which hopefully that would be the case. But like, we've been specifically picking songs to say like, I'm not, I'm not going to really sing a lot about my needs and how you meet them. Okay. I'm going to sing about you and who you are. Everything will be taken care of. And so we've been stewarding that revelation, the lamb of God, everything paid for, right? Um, I can come to you. So we've been stewarding that. And, and I feel like the Lord has um, just, I mean, just feeding us, you know, over and over and over again. So um, as we were approaching Advent, I felt a tug in my heart, um, eternal revelation of Jesus, you know, and I was uh, felt invited to seek another revelation um, of, of Jesus. And this was specifically as Jesus as the son of man. And that may not mean a whole lot to you right now. You may have done a study already and got something out of it, but I feel like wherever you are, whether you've got a revelation or you don't know what I just said, there's, there, like, the Lord has an invitation and a gift for us today to receive a revelation of him as, as um, the son of man. And so we're gonna go after it. Um, it started talking in my heart, I don't, you know, um, guiltily, again, just because I watched The Chosen and, <laughs> and, watched, and watched, you know, that guy pretending to be Jesus, continually say, the son of man, blah, 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 right? And, and you read it and you're like, it's old literature. You know, does that make sense? <laughs> you know, it's like, there's gonna be like old stuff. It feels old, you know, or whatever. Um, but when you watch somebody say it, it just kind of catches your ear a, a little bit. You're like, he, he said that a lot. And then you go read and you're like, they're just making it up on the screen. Uh, you know, they, they, he said it a lot. Um, so um, I wanted to dig into it. We started um, with the hope of writing a song um, for the, uh, that, that theme, the Son of Man, and we were digging in. Um, and, then, and then week after week, we just kept not writing a song. And we got, we got up to like this last week and I was like, well, I guess I'll just preach on it. And, um, and we'll just let that be that. And then, uh, but God, and, um, and we wrote a song. And so... Um, uh, this, me, like this morning is basically me just prepping you to worship Jesus again. And then we're going we're gonna to sing this song together that the Lord gave us. And um, very, very, very thankful for, um, uh, for that. I was like, man, I really wanted a Christmas song, you know? And, um, and there's nothing like a deadline, you know, to, to, get, to make something get done. Amen, college students. Okay. Okay. Okay, so what I want to do just real quick is just ask for a revelation of Jesus, and I want you to ask for Jesus, uh, Jesus for a revelation of him as the Son of Man, okay? Lord, we love you. We trust you. Provision in every way, solution for every problem, truth for every circumstance. Um, we just, we, we, we love you. And we ask, Jesus, that you would give us a corporate revelation of who you are, who you were telling us that you were as the son of man. This morning, Lord, we open ourselves up. Um, we're not just gonna take notes on the outside or in a binder that we're gonna throw away in a couple years. Lord, we open our hearts up. Say, come and deposit something, Lord. We need more of you. So if there's like a opening up procedure you do, then just go for it. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we trust you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
All right, so forget I said anything about Son of Manna now, okay? Or I'm going to surprise you with it later, okay? Um, open up to Daniel 7. I grab, could you grab me my water right there? Sorry. Thank you, Caitlin. Quick plug or resource um, this week as I was, um, I listened to two songs this week. The one that we wrote and... Um, which didn't sound very good, I'll be honest. I had a cold. And, um, and, this, and then a song called Oh Israel from a little group called 111 Music. And um, the song is just really good, so I just offer it to you. Um, the, the, the group that wrote it, actually, if you guys know um, Blake Schultz, he used to live in College Station, uh, College Station House of Prayer, and he and his wife are now doing um, uh, worshipy, uh, IHOPy thingies uh, all around the earth. And... Uh, and, but they also, every now and then, push out a couple songs. And so, um, again, the band is 111 Music. song is O Israel. I've cried basically all week just listening to that. So, all right, we're in Daniel 7, yeah? Okay, so um, this is kind of intense, okay? This is not the, the scripture we set out to teach on this week, but I didn't want to do the other one, and I wanted to do this one. Um. So uh, Daniel, uh, interesting, he lived for all 70 years of Israel's Babylonian captivity. He served the kings of Babylon um, in an elevated place. Like he, the, he was one of those guys that they were trying to indoctrinate so that they could send back to Israel and get them all Babylonized, okay? Babylonized. Um, so uh, he served in this elevated position for 70 years, um, um, and in this particular, we're, we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 14. Um, but in these particular years, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had died, who had had, Nebuchadnezzar had had a lot of revelation about the Almighty um, and was like, was like going for it. And then was like, actually, I really love myself. And then, you know, it was just like back and forth. And, um, uh, but he had a very interesting relationship with Daniel all along the way. But then um, Nebuchadnezzar died and Belshazzar uh, took over and he did not like Daniel very much, did not respect him. Um, and so times were tense um, in the time of this prophecy. Um, so um, anyway, so I'm going to read this. And for imagery's sake, just so that you're not completely lost, um, there's going to be lots of beasts and horns. So beasts are often going to be kingdoms and horns are going to be the kings of those kingdoms. So little interpretation so you don't zone out on me. Okay, verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of, um, of his head. In, of his head? Yes. Uh, as he lay in, in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings on, uh, of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. 
After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, but before, uh, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands Served him. That's a hundred thousand. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Wait, first one's a million, second one's a hundred million. Um, the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Intense scene. I looked then I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. So pretty intense, pretty heavy. Um, Israel at this point had been in captivity for a, a long time. This was toward the end of that 70 year span, I believe. And um, so here's a people who have um, their, their homes and their cities were likely destroyed in front of their eyes. Their ways of life left behind. Everything uh, that they used to worship had been stolen and was being used um, for other gods. Um, and they were taken and they were put in a foreign kingdom a thousand, about a thousand miles away. So you're not, you're not escaping and walking back. Um, Likely the landscape is even completely foreign. You know, it's just, it, you're not home. And, um, and it was at the, they were at the mercy of um, a king, these, in a kingdom, these beasts and horns um, that were terrifying, that were godless, um, and, uh, that, and simply longed to oppress these people, um, com uh, culture them, and destroy everything that the Israelites were. And so um, God in his mercy comes in these times to prophesy and comfort them that the God that they serve um, is actually the one dealing authority and dominion. He gave it to a beast, he instructed it, and then he ended that beast. And um, uh, 
the, these guys, you know, there were people whose entire lifetimes were inside of one of those beasts, you know, like they were born into it and they died into it. But he is assuring them that they serve the ancient of days who, who looks from the outside and at, at time. He can look this way at time. He can look that way at time. He created the concept for us. And um, so he says, you know, do not fear. You serve the one true God and I, and I am the authority. So despite your suffering, despite your pain, despite your grief, um, uh, I am with you and you are, you're on the right side of this thing. So um, in his mercy, gives them, gives them that prophecy. Um, if we look, and we're not gonna go into details, but each one of those beasts and horns were, were, were real kings and real kingdoms that, that obeyed that timeline, that responded uh, because they had no choice uh, to be subject to the Ancient of Days. He's assuring them justice will be satisfied. And even today, we live in a context that has its own injustices, its own oppressions, its own sins against God. But even today, we can be comforted. Every beast um, uh, will be confronted by the Ancient of Days. Even Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So this is not what we're, this is not our take home today, <laughs> um, but mostly be assured that the Lord is moving and doing and though there is injustice on the earth, um, it will be reconciled. Okay, so uh, that was, that's what I kind of, when I see that, that prophecy speaking to the moment what I see it saying to the Israelites. Um, I, it's, it's really clear that this prophecy also points to um, his, for us we know, his second coming, right? Um, and, and the result um, uh, of, of him taking dominion. Um, it's an apocalyptic vision. They call the latter half of Daniel um, like apocalyptic prophecies. Um, it's, they, they, it'll be called the, the revelation of the Old Testament. You know, it's like a lot, like that whole imagery I think I just read it in Revelation like a couple minutes ago, right? Um, and so it's, it's um, God's reminding them, like there, there is a day coming, the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and um, so uh, it points to his second coming and it gives us a glimpse of, uh, into our destiny and a sign of what we know um, after the second advent. Uh, verse 27 concludes that prophecy with, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatest of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. So yeah, this is what Israel was waiting for continually. Lord, let your people, let your kingdom be exalted. And you know, and, and for them, your kingdom is our kingdom. <laughs> Exalt us, Lord, <laughs> you know, like, like let us not be oppressed any longer. They long to be redeemed, to be reconciled to their God despite their endless record of sin and undeniable proof that they'd repeatedly broken the covenant he formed with them. So 
What I love about this passage is that it points to the, the second coming of Jesus that we know that, um, but it leaves this huge gap of explanation that the Israelites had to ponder. Um, who is the one that is like a son of man? Ponder. What if you didn't know who Jesus was? They never heard that name before. Who's that guy? Why is he worthy? No other human. None of us are worthy. Why is he worthy? And why on earth would that son of man give the kingdom and the dominion back to a people who've continually refused and denied God? Because that's in there. It says to, to the saints and, uh, and the people... The gap between where Israel was in that moment and the picture of that prophecy, they, they couldn't be further apart. They weren't in Babylon on accident either. Um, that was, I mean, that was some discipline for them. I forget the math, but like just, just one little reason. They didn't let their land rest. They were supposed to give it years off. The Lord said, um, is it every seven? One out of every seven? Um, they didn't do that. They just worked and worked and worked. Productive people. Um, the Lord's, and so the Lord, first of all, was like, we've got to let this land recover. You can't be here anymore. Um, there's plenty of other reasons way worse than that. Um, but that's the, that's the one that's PG. So um, plenty of reasons that they, were, that they were in Babylon because they weren't good enough. And they were um, denying God completely. Um, so the gap between where they currently were and that moment where the, where the one who is worthy turns around and returns dominion to these people, it was huge. A lot of explanation missing. And, and how do we get there? How do we get to that moment? But um, so just like any great storyteller, God left a great hiff clanger, uh, hiff, whoa, whoa, cliffhanger, <laughs> hiff clanger. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. For everyone to ponder. So then 200 years later, some rural rabbi starts pulling on this phrase in a way that starts to make people uncomfortable. Jesus seemed to prefer this title over any other. There's about 80 references, red words, where he calls himself the son of man in, in uh, just the Gospels, which is where he talks. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Matthew, and I'm going to read through some of them, just kind of a journey through Matthew. Just, I literally just grabbed random ones that seem to make some sense. What I want you to do is um, just like imagine the scenarios. You should be able to catch some of them. And I remember that story, where, where that is, and um, or whatever, you can just listen to the words um, in context, but just kind of create a palette for like Jesus using that title, the son of man. And um, we're gonna ponder, sound good? All right, Matthew 8. Um, these are not gonna be on screen, so don't look for them. I, I felt bad. I gave a whole lot of scriptures at 12.30 last night to the tech team, so <laughs> gave some mercy. Um, so he, uh, Matthew 8. 
And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Chapter nine, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Chapter 12, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 16, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, why do people, uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Chapter 13, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Chapter 16, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Very challenging scripture. 17, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. 19, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 20. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. He told them. Still, nobody knew what to do when it happened. We can laugh, but we can also know we would have done no better. When we have our image of like what it looks like for Jesus to move and we just won't let go. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. And we're like, hold on. <laughs> I can see it now. The sword will come out. Just head, 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 head. <laughs> And then the thrones will come in and I'll come and I'll sit down next to you at your right hand, right hand. You know, it's like he told them exactly what's going to happen and what happened when they didn't hear him. Their hope was demolished. Selah. Okay. Matthew 20. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 24, therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So why did Jesus choose this title from all others? One reason I think is it's humility. Yeah. For sure, it sounded less pretentious than the Son of God. Yeah. <laughs> or, or let's try uh, the, the eternal king of the universe. Yeah. The eternal king of the universe has come to serve. Yeah. <laughs> no, his humility was so genuine that he said, that, that, that's what they're going to call me. <laughs> At least that's what I'm going to call myself so that they know I'm right here. I am one of you. 
Think about it. The Israelites had had plenty of interaction at this point with heavenly beings, um, be it angels or even Jesus himself. There's I mean, somebody, I don't know if anyone's getting mad at me, but like this, uh, a lot of people will say when it says, it'll say an angel of the Lord. Great, an angel. When it says the angel of the Lord, very well could be talking about Jesus coming. Um, there's lots of references in the Old Testament and it's, he is a different angel. <laughs> um, they didn't know what to do with him, right? Um, they didn't know what to call him. Um, so they called him the angel of the Lord. Um, so they, 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 had, they had seen him before, um, but in his glorified form. Even, even he remembers the glory that he had before he took on the, the flesh that he took on. This, I'm going to read a portion of the high and priestly prayer, which is really powerful. Um, it's, it's after Jesus um, washed his disciples' feet and they, um, and they were together. And he, he, he said a lot of things that are all really important for us to hear. But at the end of it, you, you can hear him turn to the Father and pray a very lengthy prayer, um, which is preparing him for his betrayal and his crucifixion. And part of it, it says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he, he remembered his, his former glory and he set it aside for a lifetime. Though he was the son of God, the one who was with the father in the beginning and though everything was formed through him and for him, he was fully God. So he called himself the son of man so that we didn't get confused that he was some glorified heavenly being that had powers that we didn't have. He set those things aside to be fully human. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He set it all aside. Jesus came and he's wearing laundry like you and me. He probably smelled like man. <laughs> he took it on a human form that gave him no preference in, on the earth. Isaiah 53, one through three. We're gonna read the rest of this later, but the first three verses. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces. That's the picture of him on the cross. They hid their faces. They couldn't look at it anymore. He was despised and, he was, and we esteemed him not. believe that this name revealed the full measure of his compassion to come and live as we live. The next verse in that Isaiah passage, surely he has bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So he hurt like you hurt. called himself the son of man so you would know you're not alone. Um, I'm, not, I'm not separated from your experience. I'm not distant from your grief and your sorrows and your pain. He came not to live as a superhuman but as a man. Yet rather than being born from the seed of Adam, he was born from the seed of God. He had, a, he had a mother, but the seed was from God. He was unfallen and he did not fall. And that's what made the difference. Most importantly, the title of Son of Man emphasized his humanity. And this is where I think it really gets into um, the valuable doctrine, the valuable understanding of why he was called the Son of Man. Um, Band, you can come on up and do the thing. Um, Emphasize his humanity. Jesus had to be human. There was no other way. A covenant had been formed between God and man, and there were two options for God. He could abandon his people who who had broken the covenant, hoard themselves after other gods, and blamed him for all their pain. He could do that. Second option would be to redeem them. Redemption was written into the law that he wrote. Redemption was the legal right to pay for the debt of another, to free them from the bondage that had oppressed them to the point of hopelessness, unable to free themselves. There were even, um, if you were a widow, there were certain people who could be your redeemer. So it wasn't just generic. It was a responsibility. It was a family responsibility that was a choice. It wasn't, they didn't say, come redeem this woman. They'd say, would you like to redeem this woman. Um, Redemption meant that a cost had to be paid. It could not be erased without justice. Um, I think it's hard to to really grasp that sometimes because we live in the benevolent times where we can call on the name of Jesus and our sin is taken away. Um, But I think it's important that we spend time pondering How did we get there? 
what was the cost. We know what it looked like for Jesus to pay it. But writing a check and handing it over, paying the cost. But there was something that had to value that check. There was work that had to be done. Um, it wasn't just going to... Um, he's not the U.S. Treasury. <laughs> you can't just print one. That's not a comment on inflation. So I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just eternal kingdom, whatever happens, happens. Writing the... They, we saw him write the check. And I, but I think there was more than even eyes could take in that day of what it took. The... <laughs> Him dying on the cross, that was, that was the check being written. What gave it value? What paid for it? We know that God chooses redemption, but it's easy to see a beautiful future outcome without imagining the true journey and, and the cost to bring it to reality. Israel had been told many times before that God would redeem them. They knew a king was coming to reign eternally, but Jesus knew that this kingdom would not be established with a sword. Jesus knew that though he was the son of God and though the word had been spoken that he was the son of man, he was, he had to still become the son of man. He had to be worthy. He had to be tested by death. He had to be human. He had to have said no to sin. He refused the devil face to face when offered the world, when offered the world, when, when offered something of a likeness of uh, being given a dominion, glory, and a kingdom, something with a likeness that all people, nations, and languages would serve him. But it wasn't the real thing. He said, no. And he said, I came to pay a cost. It's not for me. The, the eternal kingdom, this reconciliation, it's not about me. Like for him, for him, it's not about him. It should be about him for you. For him, it's not about him. He, he came to pay the cost that we would be redeemed, that, that the people of the children of God would be redeemed. So Jesus' perfection, his denial of the world, made a way. Jesus' righteousness is endless. Can you picture it? From day one to his final breath, there was found in him no unrighteousness. In Romans 6.23, we see that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. With his wealth of righteousness, he went to pay the cost on our behalf. How does this work? How, 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 is, how is he able to pay for the sins of all mankind even though he was just one man? Even though we're still sinning. He's like, it's still being paid for. How? I don't, I, 
How do we, how do we comprehend that? How did they comprehend that? It's because he was tested by death. The wages of sin is death. And he went to the cross to pay the, the debt of our sin. And like a scale, the sin had to be atoned. The justice of God would not pass away. The justice, it, it has to be there. You guys do not want to serve a God who is not just, completely just. You do not want a God who says this is close enough. So like a scale, every sin needed to be atoned for. And Jesus, in his perfection, no unrighteousness found in him. He came and he fulfilled the law perfectly. Not one dot, not one iota would be unfulfilled. And then he went to death and it was time to pay up. And he hops on the scale. And it, it didn't equal out. Didn't say, there's a little bit more. <sighs> and then somebody keeps sending over there and it keeps. <clears throat> he tipped the scales. There is nothing you could add to this that would even lift this thing off the table. His righteousness was full and complete and perfect. It's like multiplying our sin by zero. There's never, you can't, you can't sin enough <laughs> to like flip it back over. He's the best coefficient there ever was. Why was he able to do that? Why did, why, how on earth could one man somehow pay for the sins of all of humanity for as long as God leaves us here on the earth. He had to come. He had to become the son of man. Again, the, the ancient of days is outside of time, looking at it from all sides. So Jesus was there too. But, he, but while he was the son of man from before the earth was formed, that was alongside that he would walk through his days as a man. He'd set aside all of his godliness, uh, his godly powers, let's say. Um, and, he, and he walked again and he did the thing that no man could do since the fall. He fulfilled the law and in his human form he came and he said, I have been permitted in your presence Oh, ancient of days, I have come to redeem, not to just receive my throne. I have come to redeem your children back to you. And that was his joy. And there's still even the concept that in all of that, dominion is returned to us in participation with him. I don't understand. And so that's where we end. I don't understand. But let me ponder Jesus, son of man, the exalted 
man, the exalted human form. There's only one who could go and stand before the ancient days and be invited into his presence. And he came and he, and he redeemed us. Let's go ahead and stand real quick. Um, let me read a little bit more and then we're gonna worship to this song. And again, um, I love the song. It's not gonna save your life or anything. Um, it's not complicated. Um, the gift this morning is a revelation of Jesus given by God. And so I just want us to participate in that revelation. I want us to make room for it. And I want us to respond and to worship him in, 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 the, in, in that way. Jesus was destined for and fully attained the eternal dominion. He fulfilled the law that no other representative of mankind could. He is the exalted son of man. He is our champion. He won the victory that we have all lost and he invites us into the spoils. He is our redeemer, the one who redeems all of mankind before the ancient of days. He obtained the dominion we gave away and restores us as heirs and participants in the kingdom of our God. He, or his method was not of the world. He humbled himself to take on our form and assume our limitations. He was born in a feeding trough as the poorest among us. He hailed from a city of no reputation. His earthly name won him no credit, Jesus of Nazareth. He sought to be with the sinners and even touched the dead without their brokenness corrupting his righteousness. And he was tested by death. The wages of sin is death. He went to the cross to pay for the debt of our sins and like a scale, every ounce had to be paid for. And this is the justice of God that every single sin was paid in full. And like a scale, his righteousness has outweighed every measure of sin that could be fathomed. Rather than equaling, the scale has been eternally tipped. The law has been eternally fulfilled. His righteousness is perfect and cannot be outweighed by any amount of sin. I'm just gonna read that passage again of Daniel 7, for the day that we wait for, and the day that we have confidence for. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Let's worship him.